Our Bible tonight, if you would please, to the book of Joshua, chapter 2. If you please find Joshua, chapter 2. I'm always amazed by people who think that it's really not worth our time to study the Old Testament scriptures. Uh, We find wonderful examples of salvation in the Old Testament as well as we do find in the New. And I've made it a practice for the past five years in teaching that at least one of the series that we do uh, during the week, one of those three weekly series, will have something to do with the Old Testament. And I want to continue to practice that because the Old Testament is very important to our understanding of God's Word and His plan and purpose and how He works in this world. The plan of redemption of God's people is found in the Old Testament as well as the New. And in this story tonight, we find a very remarkable story of salvation. Uh, Salvation comes to a person that we wouldn't expect, in a place that we wouldn't expect, in a manner that we wouldn't expect. Tonight, we're going to be talking about the story of Rahab. Now, interestingly enough about Rahab, she, uh, she doesn't have a book of the Bible named after her. I don't think anyone of us would call Rahab one of the Bible's most prominent characters. And yet, she seems to be a person that I, I'm really drawn to this story. I love this story. This is uh, the third time in a very short amount of time that I've preached a message about Rahab. And we're going to consider this again tonight because this is where our study in the book of Joshua takes us. So we want to discuss the story of Rahab once again tonight and in a little bit different way in what we've discussed at the last two times that I've preached on this. This evening, we're going to read the entire second chapter of Joshua. I hope you have your Bibles. Let's please stand for the reading of God's Word. Joshua chapter 2, and we're going to read the entire chapter. And Joshua the son of Nun sent out of Shittim two men to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, even Jericho. And they went and came into a harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, there came men in hither tonight of the children of Israel to search out the country. And the king of Jericho sent unto Rahab, saying, Bring forth the men that are come to thee, which are entered into thine house, for they be come to search out all the country. And the woman took the two men and hid them and said thus, There came men unto me, but I wist not whence they were. I didn't know where they came from. And it came to pass about the time of the shutting of the gate when it was dark that the men went out. Whither the men went, I wot not, or I don't know where they are. Pursue after them quickly, for ye shall overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof of the house and hid them with stalks of flax, which she laid in order upon the roof. And the men pursued after them the way to Jordan unto the fords. And as soon as they which pursued after them were gone out, they shut the gate. And before they were laid down, she came up unto them upon the roof. And she said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land, and that your terror is fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what ye did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan, Sion and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. And as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. Now, therefore, I pray you, swear unto me by the Lord, since I have showed you kindness, that ye will also show kindness unto my father's house and give me a true token, and that ye will save alive my father and my mother and my brethren and my sisters and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. 
And the men answered her, Our life for yours, if ye utter not this our business. And it shall be when the Lord hath given us the land, that we will deal kindly and truly with thee. Then she let them down by a cord through the window, for her house was upon the town wall, and she dwelt upon the wall. And she said unto them, Get you to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you, and hide yourselves there three days, until the pursuers be returned, and afterward may ye go your way. And the men said unto her, We will be blameless of this thine oath which thou hast made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, thou shalt bind this line of scarlet thread in the window which thou didst let us down by, and thou shalt bring thy father and thy mother and thy brethren and all thy father's household home unto thee. And it shall be that whosoever shall go out of the doors of thy house into the street, his blood shall be upon his head, and we will be guiltless. And whosoever shall be with thee in the house, his blood shall be upon our head, if any hand be upon him. And if thou utter this our business, then will we be quit of thine oath, which thou hast made us to swear. And she said, According unto your words, so be it. And she sent them away, and they departed, and she bound the scarlet line in the window. And they went and came unto the mountain, and abode there three days, until the pursuers were returned. And the pursuers sought them throughout all the way, but found them not. So the two men returned, and descended from the mountain, and passed over, and came to Joshua the son of Nun, and told him all things that befell them. And they said unto Joshua, Truly the Lord hath delivered into our hands all the land, for even all the inhabitants of the country do faint because of us. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word tonight. Help us, Lord, as we talk about this story of Rahab to see different things about salvation and just what a great God that you are. Bring salvation in such uncommon places to uncommon people and those of us that are vile sinners against you. We just thank you, Lord, for that. Blessing this message this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I know that most of you are already very familiar with this story. As I said, I've preached about this on two other occasions just recently. So perhaps we really don't need to go into all the details that we find here. But what we find in this story truly is an amazing story of salvation. This is something that was in God's plan and God's purpose and in God's grace. And Rahab is really an example of how God can bring salvation in his grace to people that we just totally would not expect, even people just like ourselves who are sinners against God. Well, I have quite a bit that I want to talk about tonight, so we're not going to delay too much here. But this is a story of salvation, and it's a demonstration of God's redemptive purposes. And I think the first lesson that we need to learn from this story about Rahab is that we have to go all the way back to the very beginning. And I'm not talking about the beginning of when Rahab was born, and neither am I speaking about uh, the beginning of the city of Jericho and the building of those walls. But what I'm referring to is actually something that didn't occur in time at all. When I say the beginning, I mean we're going to go back all the way before the foundation of the world. And here's what we find, number one, about this story, that salvation is, a, is, is ordained by God's grace. Salvation was planned and purposed in the mind of God before this world was ever created. 
God had in mind a people that he would redeem for his name. And all along throughout human history, God works out all of the circumstances and all the means by which every person who will be saved comes under the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then God opens their heart in order that they would believe that message when it's heard. And the demonstration of this very fact, I think, is almost glaring when we talk about the case of Rahab. If we think about this, why did Joshua send those two spies over into Canaan? Joshua was a spy himself, if you remember. Uh, Forty years before this time, God sent him, or Moses rather, sent him over into the, the land of Canaan, there in the promised land, to spy out the land. And so Joshua was already very familiar with what, what would be found there. He knew all about the city of Jericho. He knew about the fortified walls and the strength of the people of the land. So why did Joshua send those two spies over to spy out Jericho? Well, we first might think, well, that was a very prudent thing to do because after 40 years, maybe something has changed. And so it's good to go and reconnoiter to see if things have indeed changed. But Joshua really understood and knew what would happen or what was happening there in the land of Canaan, and he knew what he could expect. So the only way that we could look at this is that God directed him specifically to send those two spies there. And if those spies were sent in obedience to God's command, then we have to recognize that God had a plan by which there was one woman in this family in Jericho that he wanted to reach with the message, and he was determined that he would save her alone. And so God sent those two spies, Joshua, under the command of God, I believe, sent those two spies over to Jericho so that they could make all the arrangements by which God would save one of his chosen people. Now, also think of it this way, that uh, how is it possible that these two spies ended up in the very house, the only house in all of Jericho, the only one in all of that city where there was a believer in the God of Israel. How did that happen? Well, all you can say is God and his providence and his wisdom and his mercy and his omnipotence. God knew that she was there and God had a purpose to save her. And so he sent these two spies over there to make the arrangements. Now, one of the marvelous aspects of salvation in the case of Rahab is this particular person that he chose to save. If I were to tell you that this very night that God was going to rain down destruction upon San Francisco and he's only going to save one person in that city, who do you think that God would save there? Well, in our understanding and our thinking, we would probably pick out the person that would be most advantageous to the kingdom of God. I mean, if you saved, if God were to save a prominent person, if he were to save the wealthiest man in town, if he were to save the savviest politician, then that would surely make sense, wouldn't it? I mean, God would save that kind of person because that person would be the most advantageous to the, to the work of God. But what if I told you that God's going to destroy San Francisco and the person that he's going to save is a homeless person Or if I said he's going to save a heroin-addicted prostitute, and that's the only person in Jericho that he's going to save. Well, you would say, well, that doesn't make much sense at all. I mean, why would God do something like that? I mean, why does he work that way? Well, this is, in fact, exactly what God did. Now, most of us are, are used to singing the song that we're going to sing just a little bit later, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound That Saved a Wretch Like Me. 
And all the time that we're singing that, we're really not too amazed that God would save us. I mean, after all, we're really not all that bad, we think. And so maybe if God saved a wretch like him or like her, then, then that makes some sense. But to God to save a wretch like me, well, I, I kind of deserve to be saved anyway. And most of the time, people are thinking this way. I mean, they've been taught in churches today that they choose God first before he chooses them anyway. And so, what's this amazing grace all about? Well, here's the real truth of the matter. God chooses us before we choose him. And the reason that God has to do that is because all of us are vile, filthy sinners... We are totally undeserving that God would even take a second glance towards us. We're so deep in sin. And if God didn't choose us, friends, there is no way that we would have chosen God. And there's no explanation here at all why that if this one person in Jericho had her eyes opened under the truth. And, and God let her know that he had a plan to save her. So these spies went over into Jericho because there was one of God's people there. She needed to know about salvation, and God provided the perfect means by which she could hear. In the New Testament, we have another great example of that in John chapter 4. And you may remember that when Jesus was going to go into Samaria, the Scripture says in John 4, verse number 4, "...and he must needs go through Samaria." And we think, well, why did Jesus need to go through Samaria? Well, Jesus needed to because there was a woman there that he intended to save. And he knew all about her. He knew where she would be. He knew the exact moment that she would be at that well. He knew every sin that she had committed. He knew everything about her life. And at exactly the right time, Jesus was there. Now, that's what God's grace does. God chose us before the foundation of the world And when the timing was exactly right, when everything came into the fullness of his plan, God made sure that each one of us here tonight heard the gospel message, and then he put it into our hearts, the faith to believe what he'd done for us. Recently, I heard a man say that those who believe in the doctrines of grace are afraid to go to the Old Testament to try to prove their points. I am not afraid to go to the Old Testament at all. I find this over and over again, that God has ordained salvation. He has a people of salvation, and God always works according to his plan and his purpose. Now, the next thing that we see in this, number two, is that salvation is obtained by faith. You see, there was something that Rahab heard here about the God of Israel, and she knew that this God was far different than anything that she'd heard about the Canaanite gods. When she went up there to those spies that she hid on the roof, she told them about what she heard. And in verse number 9, she says, I know that the Lord has given you the land. And then if you read that, I mean, it's really remarkable that Rahab begins to relate the whole experience of Israel as they come marching toward the promised land. She said, we heard about how God dried up the Red Sea and you came across the Red Sea on dry ground. And we heard all about those kings on the other side of Jordan, uh, Sion and Og, and how that you destroyed them. And she said, when we heard all about that, she said, our hearts melted within us. There was great terror that fell upon all of us because of what your God had done. Now, the amazing thing about that is, is that the Israelites for 40 years had been wandering in the wilderness, afraid to go into the land of Canaan, when all the time the people over there were just trembling and quaking in their boots because Israel was coming. 
These people, the people of God, didn't have the kind of faith that Rahab had. We'll talk about it again in just a moment. But listen to the confession that she makes in verse number 11. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and earth beneath. Now I want you to notice something here about the difference between Rahab and the other people who are in Jericho. It wasn't the armies of Israel that Rahab was really afraid of. What Rahab was afraid of was the God of Israel. And that's what made her so far different. And that was really proof that God was working in her heart. All the rest of the people, they're worried about Israelites coming. And this woman is worried about God coming because she knows what God will do. In Proverbs 1 verse 7, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so Rahab made a confession of faith about what she heard. Now, this demonstrates to us a great principle that we find uh, written or told to us by Paul in the New Testament. He said, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So what does Rahab's experience teach us concerning salvation? It teaches us that we must hear to believe. I mean, this is absolutely essential. Nobody is going to be saved unless they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have to hear to believe. But I want you to notice what kind of hearing that this is. Because her hearing must have been quite different from what the rest of the Canaanites heard. Now the other Canaanites heard exactly the same thing as far as the physical description of what happened. They knew all about that. But the king of Jericho never made a profession of faith. He never said the same thing that Rahab said. All the soldiers and the merchants that were in Jericho, they heard exactly the same stories. Israel came across the Red Sea. God defeated the the, uh, uh, kings on the other side of Jordan. They heard exactly the same things, but they didn't express the same kind of faith that Rahab heard. And you know the difference between the two? The difference is that Rahab heard with her heart. Someone has said that the difference between uh, hearing and believing is a space of about 18 inches from here down to here. That's the difference that's made here. So not everyone, it's very clear to us that not everyone hears with the heart in in the same way because God has to open your heart. And again, in the New Testament, we have an example of this. Uh, Luke records the same information in the book of Acts. When Paul preached to Lydia in Acts chapter 16, the scripture says the Lord opened her heart. And then in the next part of that verse, it tells us what Lydia did. It said she attended under the things that were spoken by Paul. So Lydia acted upon her faith because God had worked in her heart and she trusted in what she heard. Well, we find the same thing is true of Rahab. She heard and did the same. She heard with her heart. And because God opened her heart, then she believed what she heard. Now, proof that she actually did believe it appears to it for us in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, in that great chapter about the heroes of the faith. In verse number 31, it says, By faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. Now, do you know one of the very interesting things about Rahab? She believed without seeing. Folks, that's why we call it faith. She believed without actually having seen it. She just heard about it. But on the other hand, let's look at Israel. God said that everybody in Israel that was 20 years older and upward that came through the Red Sea, they were all going to die before they got to the promised land. And remember, the only exceptions are Joshua and Caleb. But all the rest of the people died. 
These people actually had the experience of walking through the Red Sea. They actually heard God speak from Mount Sinai. They actually saw and touched that manna that God left for them. They saw Moses strike the rock and water come out of that rock, and that rock followed them all throughout their wilderness journey. And yet those people were faithless and unbelieving when it came time to go into the land of Canaan. Now, Rahab, however, heard these things, and not having seen them, she believed them. She didn't have to see the miracle. She just simply believed what the, the message that she heard. And you know, folks, there are people today who are still looking for their miracle. And they're not going to believe. They're not going to come to God in faith unless they actually see a demonstration of their miracle. And so you find people today that they make all these pilgrimages. They make these treks. They go to places where somebody said that a statue began to bleed or to cry or blood came from an idol. And for goodness sakes, remember a few years ago... There was a grilled cheese sandwich in Florida that sold for $28,000 because somebody thought they saw the image of the Virgin Mary on it. People are looking for a miracle. But here's what we find. Rahab believed without a miracle. She simply believed what she heard. And the Bible tells us that faith in God is generated by hearing the Word of God. And God opens the heart to that. And the reason that we believe is because we have heard the word of God and God is acting upon the heart in the power of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit comes and he regenerates the heart and gives us faith. Do you understand that Rahab would have been no different from any other unbelieving person in Canaan if she had not had her heart opened by God himself? But we see other things about salvation here that's common to to both us and Rahab in Old Testament and New Testament. Number three, salvation is observed by works. It's ordained by grace, obtained by faith, and observed by works. Well, what did Rahab do that proved her faith in God? Well, at great risk of herself, when it would have been much easier for her to say, well, I just can't get involved with this. This is a very dangerous thing that you're asking me to do, to hide you. I mean, I I just don't know. I, I don't know if I can do that. And if she hadn't done that, what would that have said about her faith? Well, would have said she really didn't have any faith, wouldn't it? I mean, if God could part the Red Sea, and if God could overcome the enemies of Israel on the other side of the Jordan, if God could send that manna, if God could send the plagues upon the Egyptians, then God... Wouldn't God have the power to save her alive? And so if she had not demonstrated her faith in that way, there would be no reason to believe that she had faith at all. But Rahab decided to put her life on the line. Being found out about this would have surely meant a very torturous death for her, but she decided that she was going to do this. And so she forsook her own people, she forsook her heathen ways, and she identified with the Israelites, and that was proof of her faith. Well, what does the New Testament tell us about this? Well, it tells us that saving faith is demonstrated by spiritual fruit. Saving faith is demonstrated by spiritual fruit. I preached a lot about spiritual fruits lately. But how do you know that a person is a true believer? Well, what about the words of Jesus? He said, by their fruits ye shall know them. And did you know that Rahab is also mentioned in the New Testament concerning demonstration of her faith? 
We find it in James chapter 2, verse number 25. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. Of course, James is speaking there about proof of justification, and her saving faith was demonstrated by what she did. And that's always the case of real, with real faith. Real faith is always accompanied by works. Well, how do I know that? Well, I know it because God has ordained it to be so. And the very best verses that we can read on the subject come from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Most of you know those verses by heart. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And verse number 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, with God, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. So it's impossible to escape this, that when God saves a person, he intends for that person to show their faith through their good works. And it will always happen that way. So God ordains good works for the believer just as much as he ordains their salvation. And if the works aren't present, then neither is the salvation. So what this does then, it rules out a faith that does not persevere. If a person does not continue in the faith, then that's proof that he never was a Christian. And the demonstration of his faith in God is always the fruit that's produced. So we know that salvation is obtained because Jesus becomes the Lord of our life. And when Jesus is not the Lord of your life, then you can have no demonstration of that fruit. And so when you have preachers and others who say that, well, you really don't have to produce any fruit to be saved, you just need to believe. Well, of course you need to believe, but true faith is demonstrated by that fruit. And if it's not there, and the preachers who say that it doesn't need to be there, they are in opposition to Jesus, they're in opposition to Paul, other writers in the New Testament, and folks, they are in opposition to the example that we have from Rahab. But that's not all because because people are confused in other ways on this particular issue. They get the whole thing backwards because they believe in order to be saved, there must be good works. And as I preached this morning, that misconception goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. When Adam sewed those fig leaves together to cover his nakedness, he thought everything is just fine. God will be satisfied with this. My works covered up my sin. But God wasn't pleased with that, and it didn't work. Well, ever since then, all the religions of the world, except true Christianity, have devised some way or another in which they can do some kind of work to please their God. If you go back 3,500 years to these Canaanites, the way that they thought that they could please God was by human sacrifices. Many other things that they did as well, but human sacrifices is one of the things that they used. And did you know, here we are 3,500 years later, and things haven't changed very much in many parts of the world? Look at the Muslims today, those in Islam. What do they think? They'll please Allah if they become a suicide bomber and, and kill innocent people. It's the same old thing. The same old thing of the religion that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And then we also find that in nominal Christianity today, the very same thing. People go to Mass every week and crucify Jesus all over again. They take the sacraments and think that's a way to be saved. They pay money to the church. And you know why they do it? It's because they believe in some way that solidifies their position in heaven. Well, that won't work because good works will never save us. 
good works are the evidence that we have been saved. So the product of your salvation is always the good things that you do for God and good things that you do for other people, which in turn, of course, is doing something for God. So there was a wonderful token there, though, of of Rahab's faith here, uh, real faith that's demonstrated. If you look at verse number 15, then she let them down by a cord through the window For her house was upon the town wall, and she dwelt upon the wall. In verse number 18, the spies said to her, Behold, when we come into the land, thou shalt bind this scarlet thread in the window which thou dost let us down by. Now, isn't that a great picture there? She let them down by that same... Uh, uh, she let them down with that scarlet rope, and it was that same scarlet rope that identified her, identified her house later as one that could not be touched. And so when the Israelites came and they conquered Jericho, they saw that scarlet cord hanging from that window, and everybody in that house was saved. Nobody was harmed in that house because of that scarlet rope. Back in the first century, after all the apostles had died, Clement of Rome was the first one to suggest in his preaching that that scarlet thread represents the blood of Jesus Christ. And I think it's a beautiful emblem If we go back to Israel in the land of Egypt, what was it that brought them out safely? Well, God told them to take the blood of a lamb and smear it on the doorposts and the lintel. That's where Passover came from. The death angel passed over them that night, and Israel was able to leave Egypt under God's protection. We're going to observe that in the Lord's Supper tonight. The Lord's Supper, by extension, is a recommemoration of the same thing that happened at Passover. That is, the blood of Jesus Christ was shed for us. So the blood is what protected them from harm, and that faith in the blood became salvation. And folks, 2,000 years ago, when Jesus died on the cross of Calvary, the blood of the Lamb was poured out for our salvation. And that is the same blood that washes away all of our sin. And it's the same blood that took away God's wrath for sin upon us. And so if the scarlet thread, that scarlet thread of redemption, if that's not a part of your life, then you don't have the safety and protection of Jesus Christ himself. So when Rahab put out that scarlet rope, there was a symbol, this house is a safe house. No soldier in Israel was permitted to harm her. And when the spies swore that oath to her, That was the very same as if Joshua had been standing there himself and swearing to her that that house would not be harmed. And this is exactly what Jesus Christ has done for us. When he shed his blood and through faith in that blood, every person who believes has the oath of Jesus Christ, you will not be harmed. You will not come into condemnation. There is no judgment for those who have their faith in Jesus Christ. So you believe in him and your soul's protected forever. Now think about that again. She hung out the rope because her faith was real. And when you're a true born-again believer in Jesus Christ, the fruits of Jesus will be in your life. But now we still have one more part of this story, and this is another exciting part, and, and it ties Rahab's story to New Testament salvation and what the Bible teaches in the New Testament. Salvation is ordained by grace, obtained by faith, observed by works, and now finally, salvation is offered to others. Something happened here to Rahab when God saved her. She was not only concerned about her own soul, 
But immediately she became concerned about the souls of other people. Particularly in this case, she's concerned about her family. Now, she wasn't content to let those spies leave until she had got their guarantee for them to swear. Swear by the Lord, she said, that you will save my father and my mother and my brethren and my sisters and all that they have. And this is exactly what happens when people get saved. When you get saved, you're not content just with your own salvation. I mean, as good as that is, and thank the Lord for it, but you also want to see other people come to know the very same Lord that you know. In the New Testament, when, when Jesus saved Andrew, do you remember that? He saved Andrew, and what a great guy Andrew was, because as, as soon as he heard the message of Christ, as soon as he believed in Jesus, the Bible says he went out and he found his brother and told him about it too. Do you know who his brother was? Peter. Thank you, Charlotte. Excellent. Peter was, was, was Andrew's brother. And, and who was Peter? Well, he was one of the greatest followers and disciples of Christ that we have in the Bible. If you read the book of Acts, you could have called the first nine chapters, eight chapters of the book of Acts, or nine chapters or so, you could call them the Acts of Peter because that's what it's all about. What Peter did as the church was just, be, just getting its start. And so this is what the people of God do. When you get saved, you just have to tell somebody else. Another great story that we have in the Bible, we talked a little bit about it uh, a few weeks ago, but that was when those uh, four friends brought their friend to Jesus. You remember they went up on the roof and they tore up the roof of the house and they let their friend down into the presence of Jesus. One of the things that I really love to do, I like to visit other parts of the country. I like to just see other people that have their faith in Christ. I don't get much of a chance to do that because I'm always preaching here. But I like to visit other churches and see see people who have the same faith and the same Lord that I have. Now, here's the thing that I want you to glean from this part of the message. No saint can be silent. And as I think about that, I think back to that message I preached a few weeks ago about the burial of Jesus. Do you remember those two disciples that took the body of Jesus Before, the Bible says they were secret disciples. They were afraid. They they didn't let anybody know about their faith. They didn't want anybody to know that they were followers of Christ. But something happened to them when they were there at the crucifixion of Christ. Something came over them because they saw Jesus crucified in a very public manner. There was no secrecy about what happened to Jesus. And as they saw Jesus hanging on that cross, they saw... Now a very compassionate Savior. They saw someone who was hanging there who accepted his death willingly. And they saw a Savior and heard his words when he even prayed for those who were then crucifying him and murdering them. And he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And I think that when they saw that, that changed those two secret disciples And so after Jesus died, they went and begged the body of Jesus. They got it from Pilate, and they weren't afraid for Pilate to know that they were now followers of Christ. And I don't think that they were afraid, most likely, for their friends to know it as well. And so they went, and they very lovingly prepared that body of Jesus for the burial. Here's the thing about it. You can't be silent when your heart's been touched. 
When God saves you, you can't keep this a secret. And the reason that you can't is because you know that unless you give this message to friends and and to your relatives and people that you love, you know that if you don't give them this message, they'll die and they'll go to hell without Jesus Christ. And there's your incentive. Well, Rahab recognized God. And she knew before they ever got there, before Israel came, exactly what would happen. Those walls of Jericho, as fortified as they may be, and they even tell us that archaeological finds there and diggings there have discovered that there were most likely two walls around Jericho with a space between them. And she knew that despite those fortified walls that Israel was coming in, Israel would conquer and Israel's God would triumph. And so she wasn't going to let her family be a part of that carnage. Well, it was, of course, necessary then, in order for Rahab to save her family, that she would have to go and tell them what she knew. And then she had to convince them that they needed to come into the house too. Now, if those people had been like everybody else in Jericho, they really weren't too worried about the walls falling down. It just ain't going to happen. But somehow Rahab had to convince her family, come in my house and wait here and we'll all be saved. And you know what I think that she believed? I think that she believed that if she would give them the message, that God would save them too. Now, that's the way that God works. I mean, if you have family and friends who need to be saved, pray for them. Keep on praying for them. Give them the message of Jesus Christ. And then leave that in the Holy Spirit's hands and expect that God will save them too. Now, I want to close the message tonight by telling you what else happened to Rahab. She was a prostitute who was changed, and she became a believer. But that's really not the end of her story. She was accepted after the Israelites came, and and they saved her and her family. Rahab was accepted into the fellowship, into the congregation of Israel. And the Bible says that she married a man by the name of Salmon. The Bible doesn't actually say this, but Jewish tradition says that Salmon was one of those two spies that came to her house. I don't know if that's true. It makes a great story. That's what tradition says. But it could have been, he could have been one of those two spies. Salmon married Ruth, and they had a son whose name was Boaz. Boaz married Ruth. We know that story. We preached about you know, 18 messages about Ruth a couple of three years ago. Uh, Boaz married Ruth. They had a son by the name of Obed. Obed married, and he had a son, and his son's name was Jesse. And Jesse married, and he had a son, and his son, one of his sons, was named David. And David, of course, was became the greatest king that Israel ever had. And Jesus Christ came from the line of David. So that means then that Rahab was the great-great-grandmother of King David. And in the New Testament, we find that the Bible gives us the genealogy of Jesus. And right there in the family tree is Rahab. Now let's go back for just a minute to the very beginning of the message and what I said there. Before the world was ever created, God knew exactly what would take place. He knew that Adam would fall, and he knew that Adam would need a Savior. And in the plan and the purpose of God, he decided that he would send Jesus Christ into the world to die for our sins. And Jesus Christ was going to come into this world through a very specific genealogy. 
God knows everybody who's going to be saved. He's the omnipotent God. And he determined that Jesus Christ is coming into the world through a very specific genealogy. Rahab is in that genealogy. Now, if we think about the reason why that those spies went over into Jericho, in our own reasoning, it would be easy for us to figure out if Rahab is not saved, Jesus does not come. And that's the way that God works things out. Rahab must be saved because that's in God's plan and purpose. And so, therefore, God sent the spies over there into Jericho, and they made, he made sure that they end up exactly in Rahab's house, and indeed she was saved in order that she could marry this Israelite and then become one of the matriarchs of the Lord Jesus Christ. So in the council halls of eternity, it was decided that Jesus would do this. And the Bible tells us that everybody who is a Christian, everybody who will be saved, has their name written in the Lamb's book of life. And it describes Jesus as the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. And all of these names were written down before the world ever began. That's just plain scripture. I don't, I don't even have to go into proofs of that. That's just plain scripture. So the Bible says that all of us then who have our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, our names were written in the Lamb's book of life. So you know what that means? It means then that God has determined to save you if your name is written there just as surely as he decided to save Rahab. And here's what you need to be thankful for. Be thankful that your name was written down in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world. Thank the Lord for a God of plan and purpose who works all things after the counsel of his own will. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this great story of salvation. So we considered Rahab tonight. We thank you, Lord, that in your plan and your purpose, you knew us. And then you made every step that was necessary to bring us to the place where we would understand and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for that. I ask you to speak to the hearts of our people tonight. Help us to understand what a great and awesome God you are. And Lord, may we be busy working for you, giving the message to others so they may also hear and know how to be saved. Bless in this invitation tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.